Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Brody. It's Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. We begin with big news today. The federal government says it's time to hit the pause button on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine due to safety concerns. The FDA and CDC say they're going to stop using the vaccine at federal sites, and they're telling states to do the same as well. So in just the last two weeks, six people here in America, by the way, all women ranging in age from 18 to 48, developed major blood clots within about two weeks of vaccination. One of them died, another in critical condition. Roughly 7 million people in the U.S. have gotten the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And as you might imagine, the Biden administration is downplaying the news. This is what they say in a statement. This announcement will not have a significant impact on our vaccination plan. Johnson & Johnson vaccine makes up less than 5% of the recorded shots in arms in the United States to date. Based on actions taken by the president earlier this year, the United States has secured enough Pfizer and Moderna doses for 300 million Americans. And meanwhile, POTUS 45, Donald Trump, released a statement laying the blame here at the feet of Biden, saying this, the Biden administration did a terrible disservice to people throughout the world by allowing the FDA and CDC to call a pause in the use of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. The results of this vaccine have been extraordinary, but now its reputation will be permanently challenged. The people who have already taken the vaccine will be up in arms, and perhaps all of this was done for politics, or perhaps it's the FDA's love of Pfizer. And you know what? On part of that, uh, Donald Trump is correct. It, look, it doesn't matter that only 5% of the vaccines came from Johnson & Johnson. News like this erodes trust in the vaccine. And let's be honest, it puts a little bit of a scare into everyone who has either taken any of the vaccines or is thinking about it. Remember, these vaccines are not FDA approved. They went through a very quick rush process. And unfortunately, all of this is not a shock to folks in the anti-vax crowd who were always concerned about a rushed vaccine from a federal government and a scientific community that they simply do not trust. We're going to have more on this big story later in the show. But first, to politics. The GOP is not only looking to take back control of the House and Senate in 2022, they want to make it redder. In essence, Donald Trump and MAGA Nation want to purge the rhinos, Republicans in name only. One of their targets, Senator Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, who voted to, let's see, impeach Donald Trump. Not to mention he voted against, she voted against Brett Kavanaugh. She also supported Obamacare. The list goes on and on. So can she be beaten? Well, she has a Republican challenger who right now, at least, is leading her in the polls. Joining me now from Alaska is Kelly Chewbacca. The former Alaska Department of Administration Commissioner. Kelly, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me today, David. Well, Kelly, the latest poll has you leading the field right now. Why do you think that is? Well, I think Alaskans want their voice represented in the Senate. We know that that seat doesn't belong to someone whose last name is Murkowski. Lisa and her dad have had that seat for 40 years, and we know that she's been voting with the D.C. insiders, hurting our way of life. We would like to take our seat back. 
We want to see our Alaskan voices represented in the Senate. I want to go to Alaska and fight for Alaskans. You think she's really in trouble then up in Alaska for sure? Absolutely. Recently, our Alaska Republican Party even voted to censure Lisa Murkowski and say that in our seat or in our state, she's not allowed to be called a Republican. You know, Alaskans want Alaska values represented in D.C., not a D.C. insider voice. I was born and raised here in Alaska. My dad is a union electrician and he served in Vietnam. We love our military up here in Alaska. We have a lot of service members. My mom was one of the Alaskans who helped to start up Prudhoe Bay. It's one of our largest oil fields down from which the pipeline comes. And life wasn't easy for them. They were even homeless for a while. We have one of those Alaska stories that Alaskans relate to. Um, I was the first in my family to get to pursue a college degree. And then from there, I've worked to fight for Americans and exposing taxpayer or exposing waste and fraud in government and returning hundreds of millions of dollars for taxpayers and holding insiders accountable. But Lisa Murkowski, she's been our senator for almost 20 years now, and she's become one of the D.C. insiders. She had her seat handed to her by her dad. These are all things that Alaskans know. We know that she's a senator's daughter. Um, she doesn't fight for Alaska. She doesn't have those Alaskan values of talking straight and meaning what you say. You know, you mentioned Obamacare. The last time she campaigned, she campaigned that she would get rid of Obamacare, and then she went and voted for it. She votes to allow illegal immigrants to come in our country and stay here. Those are things that Alaskans know, and those aren't our Alaska values. We want Alaska values in D.C. Where are you on the Trump meter, if you, if you will? Because you've got a lot of uh, Trump, uh, former Trump campaign officials working on the campaign. Uh, uh, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump have gotten into a bit of a skirmish. I mean, Donald Trump not a big fan of Mitch McConnell. If Mitch McConnell's on one side and Donald Trump's on another, where, where are you in there? I would be honored to have President Trump's endorsement. You know, Alaska voted for him twice, and I got to serve in his administration for two years. I spoke at his first presidential fundraiser here in the state of Alaska, and Alaskans really love Donald Trump, and for good reason. As a president, he's been great for our state. He opened up Anwar for oil and gas development. That pushed back six decades of restrictions. In contrast, on the first day of the Biden administration, and Lisa Murkowski supports the Biden administration, they shut down our oil and gas drilling in Anwar, and that cost us oil and gas jobs in Alaska. You know, President Trump, he passed the largest tax cut in American history. When government grows, freedom shrinks. And when government shrinks, freedom grows. In Alaska, we love our freedom. Those are the kind of things that Alaskans love about President Trump. We'd be honored to have him come up here. We'd be honored to have his endorsement. You know, Donald Trump always talks about the election being, uh, the 2020 election being rigged and stolen. I know you're looking forward to 2022, don't want to necessarily look back, but it does seem like it's a, it's a question uh, that all Republicans are getting asked now, kind of wh where are you on some of the concerns that Trump had uh, regarding the 2020 election? He called it rigged and stolen. What, what, what do you say? You know, back when we had the Bush and Gore election, we had the Democrats tell us that Broward County alone needed over a month of examination into that election. And then when President Trump ran in his last election, we spent years looking into whether Russia interfered with that election. I think the Democrats have given us a standard of how we look into evidence of allegations of election integrity issues. 
And we didn't use the Democrat standard into the allegations in the 2020 election. I think that the allegations that came up in the 2020 election just simply haven't been looked into. And that's why you see so many questions coming from millions of Americans about some of the election integrity issues in 2020. That's why we have questions. We just want the Democrats to use the same standards that they used in all the other elections. Right. So you're saying the questions are legitimate. I mean, the, the fact the questions should be should be asked for sure. Right. The questions have been asked just like they've been asked before. And we want the same standards applied in looking at the allegations that have been raised. For, for, for sure. You have a, a wonderful uh, family uh, there in Alaska. You are, you are a strong Christian woman. As you might imagine, the liberal, liberal blogs have come after you. And I'm sure the mainstream media, as you get more attention, they'll come after you, too, for your faith, uh, especially, you know, I know it's more of a Pentecostal kind of what we call it. You know, I work at CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network, Fruits of the Spirit, uh, which some people don't quite understand. What, what do you what's your message to, to the critics who, who want to bash you, in essence, for your faith? You know, my faith is a really important part of my personal identity. And in America right now, how you identify yourself personally is something that we now honor as an important part of our dignity. How we communicate with God, a lot of people in America have faith and they have a prayer, prayer time and how they communicate with God. And it's not something that everybody understands and we don't expect it to. I think that's why it gives a has a special place in the Constitution as religious expression is protected. We're not expected to understand how people communicate with God or pray. Um, but it seems to me that there's only one religion anymore that it's socially acceptable to mock or ridicule or denigrate. And then it gets on the social media bandwagon and everybody kind of tears it up. And that's Christianity, especially conservative Christians. Because if you replace the word Christian with any other religion, I mean, think about it for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, we would all say that's not okay to discriminate against other religions. I don't think it's okay. I think America doesn't think it's okay. I know Alaskans don't think it's okay to discriminate against people because of their faith. Mm -hmm. But for some reason it's okay, at least for some people, to discriminate against Christians. I just gotta tell you, I don't think it is. And I think most Alaskans don't think discrimination against faith is okay because we're typically people of faith. We don't share the same faith, but we really honor the dignity of people's faith backgrounds up here. Yeah, and Kelly, we have 30 seconds or so, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, 30 seconds, if, if you say this is a Judeo-Christian nation, the liberal blogs and others, the mainstream media, they'll come after you, me, everybody uh, doing all of that, saying all of that. What's your take on a Judeo-Christian nation? Because that's where it seems like the principles of this country clearly were founded. You know, I'll just say what John Adams said. He said, you know, our Constitution is built on those principles. And if you remove those principles, then the whole thing kind of falls apart. And it's not saying that that imposes religion on everyone. It just says that our entire Western civilization rule of law is based on canon law. And we are a rule of law country. Yeah. Kelly Chewbacca, uh, really appreciate your time here, a candidate for Senate in Alaska. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. You can learn more at kelly4ak.com. I appreciate your time, David. All right, sounds good. And getting that plug in at the end, you gotta like that. Even more props to Kelly for doing that. That is impressive, by the way. I've been to Prudhoe Bay, by the way. Wow, it is far north and beautiful. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. 
Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, politics and, of course, Trump and Biden and all of that. But, uh, you know, there's something uh, pretty big going on in the Middle East. There always is something uh, going on in the Middle East for sure. As a matter of fact, we're getting news today that Iran says they're going to enrich uranium up to 60% now. It used to be 20%. They're saying now they're going to go to 60% because of, a, of an attack on one of their um, one of their oil, or excuse me, one of their uh, facilities there, enrichment facilities. So uh, we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more with Jason Greenblatt, former White House envoy to the Middle East. Uh, Jason, always great to have you back on the show, sir. Great to be with you. Thank you, David. Well, Jason, what's the uh, what's the iceberg right ahead here for the Biden administration? Because you guys worked uh, very, very hard to obviously get out of that deal regarding the Trump administration. And now they want to do a 2.0. Where, where do you think things stand and, and, and what's the danger ahead here, Jason? I would argue it's not even a 2.0. I think they're moving back to a 1.0, meaning mm. this deal was terrible to begin with. We were hiding our heads in the sand. They were just kicking the can down the road as if this was gonna solve the nuclear threat to the region and to the United States of America, as if this was gonna solve the fomenting of terrorism around the world by the Iranian regime. And we went from, let's make the deal longer and stronger, which is what President Biden was saying during the campaign and the beginning of the administration to, oh, please let us, let us get back into this deal. We'll get back into compliance. And it's so embarrassing. We're not even represented at the talks other than through Europeans who don't have America's interest at heart. They have their own economic interest at heart. Uh, how embarrassing is it that we can't even be at these talks, much less our allies and friends in the Middle East who are in the line of fire, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, the UAE, Bahrain, and others. So does this feel like a begging and pleading situation, like they, des they the United States, desperately wants to get back in this deal? Absolutely. It is misguided. It is dangerous. Uh, you see uh, there was an attack, and as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, the 60% uh, increase, it's unprecedented, and it shows the type of regime we are dealing with, and it shows how weak and ineffective we are at dealing with this kind of regime. You know, Jason, there has been, in essence, a 100%, or call it a 180, on virtually everything that the Trump administration did, especially as it pertains to the Middle East. Palestinian aid now, I mean, there was, now it wasn't all Palestinian aid that was not going over there, but but there was quite a bit of economic aid not given to the Palestinians. And now look at these headlines, reversing Trump, Biden restores aid to Palestinians. There's a lot to unpack there. It's, there there's certain things there. But talk to me a little bit about what the implications of restoring aid to the Palestinians means exactly. Sure, another big mistake. Let's talk about UNRWA. So they're restoring aid to UNRWA. UNRWA is a corrupt UN organization. It does nothing other than keep Palestinians as political pawns perpetuating their lives of misery in these so-called refugee camps. Most of these people who live in these camps should not be classified as refugees. We have to recognize that if a, an Israeli-Palestinian uh, solution to the conflict is not imminent, and I don't believe it is imminent, we really should focus on how to make these Palestinian lives better. They deserve better. And pouring money into UNRWA, repouring U.S. taxpayer money into UNRWA is not the solution. It is an inept organization with an ever-expanding group of beneficiaries. Aid to the Palestinians themselves does not lead to peace. It might comply with Taylor Force Act. We'll see what happens when, we, when they share the specific details with us. But even if it complies with the Taylor Force Act, we have to recognize that the Palestinians are paying 
Palestinian terrorists to harm and murder Israelis, and we should not be giving money until they clearly repudiate this heinous policy of pay to slay. Well, not to mention also, uh, Jason, there's propaganda involved in this too, right? I mean, some of this money is going, in essence, to, to fund some of the propaganda that Palestinian kids in schools are, are hearing about uh, Israeli children. That's exactly right. It teaches hate, it teaches anti-Semitism, it teaches anti-peace messages, and we are not doing anybody a favor, least of all the U.S. taxpayer, but even Palestinians at all, by just continuing to fund these bad programs. We should learn from the lessons of the past. Yeah. So talk to me about Saudi Arabia's role in all of this uh, with Iran, Saudi Arabia, Israel. There's so much going on here. Uh, I don't know if it's three-dimensional chess. Maybe it's 12-dimensional chess. Uh, what's your sense exactly as to how this could potentially play out with Saudi Arabia being a key player in the region, obviously? Well, I'm very bullish on the region, including and especially perhaps Saudi Arabia. I think the Crown Prince's Vision 2030 and so many other things that he's doing there are going to make this region stronger, better, safer. That bodes well for Israel. That bodes well for the other countries in the region. I think that we need to be patient with Saudi Arabia. They did not yet join the Abraham Accords. I don't know when they will join it, but I think they have taken very positive movements both in their society in terms of moving forward, in their economy, and in the region generally. Um, the healing of the rift between Saudi, the UAE, and Qatar, and others in the GCC is a very positive step. And I look forward to many good things coming out of Saudi Arabia, as long as we allow them the space to do it within their own time. Jason, what, what is the, the, the world, is this a worldview issue between what the Trump administration was trying to do in the Middle East, kind of writ large the Middle East, I should say, and, and what the Biden administration is doing or undoing, I should say? In other words, what's motivating them exactly? I'm trying to understand why they would, in essence, undo so much of the progress that was made. I think it is, a, as you describe it, a worldview issue. I think that they are reluctant to call uh, the truth. They're reluctant to speak hard truths. They're reluctant to recognize the problems and try to fix the problems. To me, they're throwing a bunch of Band-Aids at these problems, hoping it'll get them through their administration. But more importantly, they're also abandoning, to some degree, some of our allies, especially Saudi Arabia. You know, they removed the designation of terrorists from the Houthi terrorists in Yemen. They pay lip service and say that Saudi can defend itself, but they're also removing some benefits from Saudi in terms of defense. So they say a lot of things that sound right. They're not backing up their words with actions, and they're doing negative things to the region. The Middle East, as we wrap up here, the Middle East has always been a, a pretty dangerous uh, place, obviously. Do you think it's more dangerous with the Biden administration in charge? Uh, I, I don't want to criticize so far in advance. I'm certainly okay. concerned it's heading in that direction. But I think that uh, President Trump's view of the Middle East not only was correct, but it bore fruit. The Abraham Accords, it was calm throughout the time that he was there. And I think that they should take a lesson out of his playbook and follow his playbook rather than going back into the methods of the past. Jason Greenblatt, always great to have you, a former White House envoy to the Middle East. Thanks, Jason, for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, Jason Greenblatt, uh, globe trotting around the world, by the way. I think he was in Dubai. What was it, a week ago, two weeks ago? Three? I can't keep up with him. He's always globe trotting. Uh, here, I just sit at the anchor desk uh, and just read off prompter. That's what I do. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, the vaccine situation, we talked about it at the top of the show. Johnson & Johnson uh, saying, hey, we're going to hit the pause button. FDA, CDC, all on board to say, uh, we've got a problem here. we got to figure it out. So we're going to talk to Todd Furness uh, in a moment about rethinking all of this and what the Biden administration is not telling you about the vaccine. Back in a moment.
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Imagine if you're one of those uh, anti-vaxxers, as the media calls them uh, today, and you're thinking, hey, I told you so. Uh, because Johnson & Johnson has hit the pause button on their vaccine. FDA, CDC saying we're going to hold up. We're going to uh, rethink this. We're going to kind of uh, figure out exactly what's going on regarding uh, six blood clots in two weeks. One person died from the blood clot, another one in critical condition. Uh, the, apparently, the FDA and CDC believe that this will be taken care of in a matter of days, and then they'll start it again. We'll see about that. I, I'm not convinced of that either. Uh, let's bring in Todd Furness, uh, author of the book, The 60% Solution, Rethinking Healthcare, who has thought a lot about these issues as it relates not just to healthcare, but about the vaccine rollout uh, and what's happening today. Todd, good to see you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Todd, I'll get to the broader healthcare issue in a moment, but let's start with the Johnson & John Johnson vaccine. I got to tell you, when this now announcement came out this morning, I said, wow, I mean, that, that, that's huge news. And it's, it's um, going to even bring more skepticism to what many people, a lot of people don't even want to take the vaccine to begin with. Well, yes, it, you're absolutely right. And what we saw is over in Europe, the AstraZeneca vaccine got, had the pause button hit on it as well. Uh, it's not surprising to see that you know other vaccines are subject to the same concern, and the you know, we've done a great job of rolling something out and making it available. The big issue we have to be worried about now is making it mandatory, and that's where I get anxious. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to get into the mandatory aspect of this in a moment, but but what what is some of your concern about what happened, the news today uh, about this vaccine? Because, I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, six cases. Uh, with these blood clots in what uh, seven million doses uh, that have been that are out there, so obviously it's not this huge problem. But do you think uh, Trump came out today and said uh, this was really a bad move by the Biden administration to basically put a pause on this because it's going to just lead to more skepticism? Uh, what should people understand about this Johnson and Johnson vaccine? Well, I think that the real issue we got to be worried about is women, uh, and particularly women of, of childbearing years. And what you see is this: all six were women. And so what I get nervous about is, what do we do about women who are in childbearing years or who are pregnant and, uh, and with child, and what are the long-term implications? And the honest answer is, we just don't know. And we have to be cautious about that and, and, and thoughtful about it because there hasn't been enough time to do a longitudinal study on either the vaccine or the effects of COVID-19. So we have to, you know, I, I get nervous about mandating vaccinations or having these uh, health passports, if you were, or vaccination passports that say, you can only get on the plane if you've, if you've got a card that says you've been vaccinated. Well, there may be a whole bunch of reasons why that's not a good idea. And the issue we've got here is we've got some early signs. Uh, it's, it's too soon to rush to judgment. There may be uh, other coexisting conditions that give rise to uh, the problems that they experienced by these six women, but we just don't know. 
And so, so for example, yeah. I, one of the things I point out with uh, with uh, COVID generally is 78% of all people who were hospitalized, intubated, who died had obesity. They were obese. Mm -hmm. So the issue is really not so much COVID as much as the complication of COVID with the complications that arise out of obesity, okay. you know, heart problems, cholesterol problems, other organ problems, et cetera. See, see Todd, you're, you're hitting on a great point because I'm going to be straight up with you. Unless you read the fine print, and I don't even know if it's in the fine print. I haven't gone to the CDC fine print, but I haven't heard anything top line from the Biden administration about the pregnancy issue uh, and, and about issues about comorbidities like obesity. Like all it is from the Biden administration is get the vaccine and that's it. There's like it's there. It's like full stop. And there's none of this talk. Well, now you figured out why I'm so unwelcomed at, at cocktail parties. Is <laughs> because I'm that wonky guy who sits and reads all that stuff, and then has the temerity to go in and talk about it, and and uh, and say, hey, here are some things you ought to think about before you rush to judgment or rush to take the vaccine. Again, I'm not against taking vaccines. I think they're important to take. I think we as a nation ought to yes. uh, really look at taking vaccines, as, you know, responsibly. Uh, so nothing could be further from the truth in terms of me being against the vaccine. I just think it ought to be an individual decision based on the education uh, and the information available to that individual, and that that so that that individual can make good decisions based on their on their own healthcare needs. Yeah, I have to tell you something we reported on um, uh, earlier this week. Actually, I think it was last week. I get all my days confused, but the Miami Heat basketball team literally opened up their arena and in two of their sections, they only had two sections open. And guess what? They were for vaccinated people. That's it. So, yeah. so, so th I mean, th this is the America we're going to start to live in. Listen, I'm not buying that, Todd, at all. Well, consider the stigmatization associated with that. And what are you really trying to do? This is another form of a term we popularized here recently called virtue signaling. I'm better than you because I've been vaccinated or I'm, you know, or I'm not as good as you because I haven't been vaccinated. I think that just puts a whole other layer of complications around an already complicated issue. Let's just go do the right thing. Let's go figure out what our healthcare needs are on an individual basis. Let's get vaccinated where we can. Uh, and where it's the right thing to do. And if it's not the right thing to do or it's an unreasonable risk to take, then let's not get vaccinated. Again, I, I have, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a pregnant daughter. I wouldn't advise her to go get vaccinated. I think that would be uh, uh, the wrong thing to do for her and for her unborn child. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Um, I, I, I wanted to finally ask you on those vaccine passports, because I like to call them, I, I don't want to say I like to call them, but I'm going to call them vaccine papers. Because if you say, can, can you show me your papers, rather than can you show me passports, that takes on a whole different connotation. But in a way, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And we have enough division in this country to now to have, as I like to call them, the VPs and the UVPs, the vaccinated people and the unvaccinated people. I mean, I, this is not the America that, that we need to be in right now. And I got to tell you, honestly, I mean, you're the first person that ever said that and used those words. But that made me nervous. I mean, I actually had a physical sensation of being anxious when you said, can you show me your vaccination papers? Mm -hmm. That makes me nervous. And it harkens back to the 40s and a time when we as a nation really we don't want to see again ever. For sure. Todd Furness, really appreciate uh, you. I want to have you back on to talk about that uh, book of yours. Uh, the, he is the author of the book. And there it is again. Ka-ching, the 60% <laughs> solution, rethinking healthcare. I'm hoping ka-ching means uh, people are going to go out and buy the book. Uh, Todd, good luck to you. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, this show comes complete with, wait for it, sound effects. Thank you very much. Uh, tomorrow on tomorrow on the show, are we done with the show already? Oh, my gosh. Uh, in the next segment, <laughs> Penny Nance coming up. She's the CEO and president of Concerned Women for America. So her son goes to Virginia Tech. And guess what? So they're a little politically correct down there. We got some pronouns. We got some transgender stuff going on. We're going to break all of that down when we come back on the water cooler. We are coming back. It's not the end of the show. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Well, uh, here's some breaking news for you. Uh, Liberal college campuses. Yeah, we knew it. Virginia Tech, look at this. This is in the news. Virginia Tech sued for allegedly chilling student speech with policies. Basically, Virginia Tech is uh, under, under the uh, microscope, if you will, of a lawsuit that takes aim at their policies on harassment, di- discrimination, bias-related incidents. It's also its computer par- policy. Basically, uh, in essence, Virginia Tech, uh, the lawsuit alleges, have intimidated students into silence, refraining altogether from expressing comments or viewpoints that might be perceived as controversial or offensive. Uh, so that's kind of the... Uh, the, the table setter, if you will, uh, Penny Nance uh, is with us, CEO and president of Concerned Women for America, who has more on this and a bit of a personal experience, if you will. Penny, always great to have you back on the show. Great to be here always with you, David. Thanks for having me. Well, Penny, talk to us a little bit about this. Uh, this is a bit personal for you from a Virginia Tech standpoint. When this story came out, you said, wait a minute, I know something about this. Why don't you talk That's to us well, about right. it? Well, right. The story is is not new, but uh, the lawsuit is. And I don't know that it's actually the first lawsuit, but this one came to my attention by a great piece in Fox News written by Sam Dorman, who's a great reporter. Um, A group called Speech First has actually sued Virginia Tech because of their treatment of speech, free speech for students. And I'm not sure if this suit encompasses employees, but it should. Um, I would take you back, David, to a piece that I wrote in reaction to the orientation that I attended when my son, my youngest child, two years ago, went to Virginia Tech. And the orientation was shocking. And I wasn't the only person very upset about it. Parents all around me were just so surprised that the Math and Science School of Virginia Virginia Tech would be uh, so far to the left, the propaganda of the left, that every single student or, or staff member that got up and spoke to us first gave us their, uh, their preferred uh, pronoun. Uh, we started out the program. Of course, I didn't think, you know, hey, I went to Liberty University, but I didn't think that they were going to start with prayer or the Pledge of Allegiance, heaven forbid, we actually recognize our country our exceptional nation, but no, instead we had to take a moment of silence for the, um, for the, uh, for the Indian tribes on whose ground we sat. Never mind that Virginia Tech, the tradition of Virginia Tech is one of the Corps of Cadets in the military. That was not at all engaged in. So there was so much propaganda going on and, and training around that. I wrote this piece at, on, um, in the Federalist. And as a result of that piece, we Concerned Women for America received so much information from not just at Virginia Tech, but of course around the country. But specifically, we received information from employees who civil rights were clearly violated by what they were forced to do, the training they were forced to do that, in, that 
imposed on them, they had to give the right answer before they could get through the training, which was a required training. So they had to assent to the position of the school, which was very leftist, all the microaggression training, mm -hmm. um, all the diversity training, everything you would expect was over the top. I, in fact, I'm going to put that out publicly. We now have it. We've had it for a while now. I think now is the right time I'm going to release it, and I hope that it's helpful in the lawsuit going forward. I have said yeah. for the first time, David, that this is what happens when you hire a leftist from San Francisco to run a Virginia school. Mm -hmm. Timothy Sands should be fired, and the fact that he was hired was a direct result of that we had a leftist governor, Terry McAuliffe, who set up the board in that way. It's time for conservatives to take back over the state of Virginia and to right the ship in our schools, our public schools, and also our universities. We have gone so far to the left, parents don't even recognize their school systems. Penny, what's the best way to do that specifically? I mean, you know, there, there's signing petitions, there's getting involved at the grassroots mm -hmm. level, uh, but, but, and lawsuits in this case. Uh, so, so maybe it's a whole kit and caboodle, but, but what I think can, it is. yeah, tell me a little bit about Concerned Women for America and what you guys are, are trying to do on that front, uh, really to kind of take America back to this, to this uh, common sense America that we once knew. Well, and it's so many different facets, David. It's sort of the um, the ideologically, uh, you know, uh, the the training of our kids in a way in this leftist ideology. But even our schools are closed. Virginia Tech is not having in-person classes. Still, you know, and and these students who really there's very little risk. And if you are at risk, there needs to be uh, certain special accommodations made for those students or teachers. But students are fed up. They want to go back to school. So I think there's a couple of different things. Number one, in whatever state you're in, but particularly in Virginia, we have an off-year election for governor. That, in, that really has implications all around the state for education. So you've got to make sure you vote for the candidate that represents your belief system. You've got to make sure that we don't reelect leftists to be our governor in Virginia. We need to make sure that we are giving the inf getting the information. I have screenshots that were sent to me, um, again, in this uh, campus project, and we're going to put it back out there. I'm going to get it back up on our website immediately so your viewers can have the information. But respond to us. Let us know what they're seeing so we can get it out there. Social media is a great way to really... Um, allow transparency. I mean, I, I really think sunlight is the best way to cure, uh, you know, the, the illness that it, that is impacting our culture. We've got to get it out there and let people know. So certainly, voting um, and and getting the information out, letting you educating our kids ourselves on what's happening, and then certainly joining with organizations like Concerned Women for America who are involved in the culture that are speaking truth to power and making sure that we try to clean up this mess. Mm. Penny Nance, really appreciate uh, your time Thank here you. and uh, great, great insight and uh, good luck down there at, at Virginia Tech. Thank you. A lot going on. <laughs> All right. Penny Nance, uh, known her for a long time. And uh, I tell you what, uh, salt of the earth. I mean, she just uh, tells it like it is. And uh, you know what? Uh, she'll take some slings and arrows for it. But guess what? She doesn't care. You know why? Because she cares about restoring the Judeo-Christian fabric of America. And I said that word restoring on purpose because the Judeo-Christian fabric of our country 
is slip sliding away rapidly. I remember Robert Bork, uh, who was nominated for the Supreme Court back in the 80s, wrote a book called Slouching Toward Gomorrah. Folks, welcome to Gomorrah. Uh, we're there. Uh, we talked about the other day uh, about an adult uh, a husband. I think it was a husband or a wife who wants to marry their own child. Folks, welcome to Gomorrah. We're back in a moment with the last sip. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for, I did it without even looking, the last sip. Did you notice? Didn't even look to sell. Like, where is my cup? Boom, there it is. Uh, not that you care. Um, hey, so if you notice in, in our open and in many of our, uh, like, kind of bumps back into the show, you see Biden there, but then you see Trump hovering over Biden. That's because he hovers over everything, right? I mean, he's not on Twitter, but so what? He's got these elegant, I'm sure he would call them, elegant press releases. Hey, so uh, I, I was on vacation uh, a few weeks ago, went to Florida. Florida, you know, we watched Jeopardy, uh, played some bingo, went to Denny's, in bed by 7.30. I'm getting old. But beyond that, uh, I went to uh, Mar-a-Lago. Uh, now, I had an off-the-record meeting with someone uh, down there. You may have heard of him. Oh, look at that. Uh, there he is, uh, Donald J. Trump. Uh, and uh, there, there we are uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Now, I got to tell you, it was an off-the-record meeting. I cannot divulge the contents of that meeting. It's top secret. <laughs> Anyhow, there I am. There's my shoe uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Kind of looks like my living room, by the way. That is typically how my living room looked when I was growing up. And not really. And that's the beautiful view of Palm Beach uh, through Mar-a-Lago. Uh, that's the, literally the living room. And look what's there, I, I noticed. I, I took a couple pictures, the New York Post and the Palm Beach Post. Of course, the New York Post uh, is there uh, for all the world to see. Uh, so as it relates to the, the meeting with Donald Trump, though it was off the record and I can't divulge the contents of that meeting, I can tell you this. Uh, you'll be happy to know that he's in great spirits. As a matter of fact, you know, I've interviewed him. Goodness gracious, it's been about 25 times or so since 2011, uh, so I've known him over 10 years. We're both from New York, and, and I can say this. He's in great spirits. Uh, you know, there are times where he'll laugh, but even when he laughs, it's more like a smile uh, and, and a little bit of a chuckle. Down there uh, during this meeting, he was literally belly laughing on a few topics that we were talking about, and, and that just shows how good... Uh, the good spirits that he's in. So, so I thought you wanted, uh, you should know that, and it's something that uh, uh, kind of stu stood out to me. We talked about some of the criticism that he's endured and what might be his future plans. So, you know, TBA and all of that. Uh, but, but I, but I can tell you this: that uh, this idea that uh, Donald Trump is going away, the media would love for him in a way to go away, but in the same time, they actually want him uh, to stick around because that's right, as Trump said, he's good for business, and that is for sure. Uh, but he's not going away. As a matter of fact, I came out of that meeting thinking even more so that not only is he here to stay, uh, but let me just say, 2024, yeah, I think we're going to have a storyline. That's all I'll say. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. FYI, I was singing that tune uh, during the break. All right, uh, Anna Perez uh, joins us. Anna, you're back with us. I'm back. You're back. Is there like a, like a door and you just kind of appear? Yeah. That's how it works. Oh, is that how it works? Good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for revealing. I just walk the in secrets. whenever I feel like it. <laughs> okay, so Anna has walk-in privileges yes. here at the uh, <laughs> water cooler White House. All right, so what do you have uh, going on? Because uh, once again, illegal immigrants back in, back in the news, if back you will, news, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, Senator Cotton actually uh, introduced a bill that would penalize mm -hmm. states that are giving money to illegal aliens um, after the pandemic and everything. Like, for example, about a week ago, we were just talking about this in New York. They authorized that they would give 15, over $15,000 to immigrants who, were, who lost jobs during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of questions arise after that, which is, you know, why are they employed anyways? The mm -hmm. fact that they're illegally here. Um, there's that. Yeah, there's that. And then, of course, why would we even be putting them before American citizens? Mm -hmm. So what this bill does, essentially, is it tells states, it penalizes states that are doing that, and they don't allow those states to benefit from the American jobs plan that mm -hmm. Biden just passed. Mm -hmm. So they would not be allowed to get any grants from the federal government mm -hmm. to benefit their own state. Interesting. So obviously, uh, not a chance, and you know what, that it's going to pass. Uh, right, because, exactly. Because, you know, Biden's the, the president. But, but it lays down a marker for mm -hmm. Republicans to say, are you going to get behind this bill? Do you support it or, or not? Because, uh, you know, this is kind of a delineation uh, mark between Republicans and Democrats, or even between Republicans and Republicans. Exactly. And I think it's going to show, you know, this is, again, a very America, American first, you know, agenda thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, anybody who would be behind this would obviously be, you know, on the side of American citizens. So it, it kind of places, like you said, a marker on who is actually there for Americans and who's here supporting, you know, illegal aliens. Because mm -hmm. as we know, this is a huge problem, putting a lot of resources behind illegal aliens. And, right. you know, for a state like New York to give that much money to illegal aliens, it's, you know, it's definitely concerning for many American citizens who lost jobs during the pandemic. I mean, mm -hmm. why a lot of people are wondering why isn't this money being being given to them, 100%. you know? Why are we even considering the idea of giving money to people who aren't actually citizens? No, 100%. So, yeah, this feels like it's pitting the Jim Jordans versus the Mitch McConnells, Exactly, yeah. Yeah. All right, Anna, good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. All right, great. This Thursday night, by the way, at 8 o'clock, we have a special uh, Just the News event. Hey, am I, have I been invited? Uh, it's sponsored by the Heritage Action for America, uh, and it's called Securing Our Elections, the Grassroots Battle Easy, safe voting. It's hosted by John Solomon. Make sure you tune in to this exciting event. It's on Thursday, April 15th. That's tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? No, two days from now. 8 o'clock Eastern, airing on Real America's Voice. <laughs> we'll see you then. i got to get the dates right.